Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to your tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I, of course, am joined by my co-host, Micah Sargent. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's been it's been fun so far. We finally uh, put out another call for questions. Um, so for those of you listening out there, if you've been thinking about sending in a question and you haven't yet, now's the time to make that happen. We would be happy to answer your questions as well. Yeah, we've got a bunch of good stuff this week. A couple that may spark some controversy, uh, including this first one. <laughs> so maybe we just jump right in. Whew. Okay. I've got my like shield and my armor. I'm ready. We can do this. Tyler asks, what is perhaps the most personal question in all of tech? <laughs> What's the best way to organize your iPhone home screen? <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a question that has no right answer. The, the right answer lies within your heart, Micah. Yeah, right in my heart, uh, where I, I try to keep things safe and protected and far mm-hmm. away from the opinions of the internet. This is, um, I I think I, I remember tweeting something along the lines of, I would rather, <laughs> I would rather post a like how oh, I can't remember what I said. It was it was something along the lines of like I'd rather post something embarrassing than mm-hmm. to post my wallpaper or my my home screen. And there's nothing wrong with my home screen. Like I'm perfectly okay with it. I just don't feel like sharing it with other people and letting them judge me. But we're gonna do that, right? It's in the show notes this week. <laughs> you can go look at it. Uh, so let's uh, let's look through mine. I got a link in the show notes to both of ours and our wallpapers. So before you yes. ask us, we've also included links to our wallpapers. <laughs> That's a lesson I learned a long time ago. Always include both. Yes. So for me, especially in the era of big phones, so I went from the iPhone five to the six. The five S is the only phone I, I jumped over. And then I went from the 6 to the 6 Plus very quickly. In that era of big phones, you had to rethink uh, what where you put things on your home screen. And for me, I came up with what I call the middle out theory of home screen layout, where the apps that you use the most often should be easily reachable by your thumb. So I am right-handed. I hold my phone in my right hand, and I operate it with my right thumb. So filter what I'm saying through that. <laughs> so for me... If you kind of picture my home screen on your phone, the arc that my thumb can make, uh, th- those apps are the ones I use the most often. So things like Todoist and Notes and Slack and 1Password and Overcast, these are apps that I use on my phone every day, uh, a lot every day, actually. And so I have them sort of within easy range of hitting it with the with my thumb. So the further up my home screen you go, Things I use uh, a little bit less. The The counter argument to this is messages, which is uh, pretty far in the upper left-hand corner. It's That's there because of like muscle memory, where uh, uh-huh. a long time ago when you sent SMS text messages, that's where the SMS app was. Um, in fact, that's also where Calendar has been for a long time. So like, there are some holdouts of like, it's always been there and I can reach it relatively comfortably on my iPhone 10. So... I just left it there. Once I tried moving messages into my dock and my entire my entire phone experience broke. Like I could not handle it. <laughs> I could not find it. I would just stare at my home screen for hours wondering where it went. So messages there. So that's a little outside of my um, my system. But things at the very top like maps and do and shortcuts and the Relay FM app. Those are things that I, I'm in sometimes. 
but I don't necessarily need to reach, you know, every every time I pick up my phone. Uh, and really, the Relay FM app is there because if you have your company logo on an app, you're obligated to have it on your home screen because it makes you look cool. So absolutely, that's kind of my my theory. I'm going to sidestep a question. I'm going to address a question, but then not really answer it. I do not have a Twitter client on my home screen at this moment in time, but uh, I'm just taking a little break. So it's still on my phone somewhere else. So I've moved day one into that spot and GroupMe got promoted from a folder onto my home screen and day one's old spot. So you may look at that and wonder where TweetBot is. I'm just taking a little bit of a respite from Twitter. So not there, but that's all I really want to say about it. Um, but other than that, in fact, you have you have somebody come in each day and move it to a different mm-hmm. folder on that second screen, right? So that you can never really find it. You know, it's expensive, but it's working. So, <laughs> other than, than that, though, which is maybe temporary, maybe not. I don't know. My home screen has been relatively static for a long time. If you if you go back, if I go back through my photos library, where like you find old interviews of mine where I share my home screen. It's relatively static. I may not be using the same app I always have been, but things are more or less where they've been. Like my to-do manager has always been in that spot for years and years and years, whether it's OmniFocus or Remember the Milk or Todoist or something else. That's kind of where it lives. And so I don't really like vastly overhaul my home screen really ever. Things may move around a little bit. New categories of apps come in or you get a new row or something, but it's been a, a pretty boring affair. It's 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 not something that really changes a lot for me, and that helps with the muscle memory that I can pick up my phone without really looking at looking at it and get to Overcast. Um, past my home screen, I have two other screens. My second screen is is basically like this one. It's apps that I use sometimes every day, but I don't want on my home screen. Things like Google Docs and Google Sheets, things like Find My Friends, things like the App Store, which I have to check in for work. You know, apps that I use a bunch, but I don't want to be buried in folders. And then my third page, my third page is just folders, uh, broken into categories of apps. So like photos, media, workout, that sort of thing. It's pretty clean, pretty straightforward. And uh, like I said, it's really been the same for a long time. And for me, it's just about that reachability of that right thumb. Now, Micah, what about the lickability of Micah. the left thumb? Is that important too? Mm, that's fine. Left thumbs, it doesn't do anything. It's just, hanging, okay. it's just hanging out. Um, I have a lot of questions about yours. Ah. Uh, why don't you walk me through it, and then I can ask my questions. <laughs> All right. So I used to be very particular about how my phone was set up, um, so much so that I would like plug it into iTunes and use iTunes to arrange my phone. And every time I would install a new version of iOS, I would always do a fresh install. And so I'd take the time to get it just how I wanted it and, you know, re-download apps and all that jazz. Um, and then I started working at iMore and Mobile Nations and I... I'm always downloading new betas of iOS. And so I gave up on that whole old method. I'm also always trying out different uh, beta apps and things like that. So for me, my main screen, uh, well, there are a couple things here. One, I do not like having more than one dot on either side of the main dot. So like yeah. you swipe to you swipe right to get to the left screen, which has all of the widgets. You swipe left to get to the right screen. Those are all the pages that I want. I don't want any more pages than that, um, just because it looks nice to me whenever it's the, uh, the three little dots at the bottom. Um, 
so I do follow that same sort of methodology in terms of how um, reachable things are. I am left-handed um, and hold my phone in my left hand and use my left thumb. So for me, messages is very easy to tap on. It's the like the first thing within reach. Uh, and then music and uh, Pocket Casts and Fantastical, which I'm always using, are sort of all in that same area. So that little square to the left is my main square. Um, then the... Capital One app is what I use for banking. The clock app. Some people are like, why is the clock app on your home screen and available? I'm always setting alarms and timers and things like that. And I'm a control freak, so I don't trust Siri with a lot of things. So I set my own alarms and timers most of the time. One Password, of course, is there. The Home app. All of these are just easily accessible apps right there on my home screen. And then below that is uh, on my dock would be Twitter, the actual official Twitter client. I used to be a TweetBot user for several years, and then I tried the Twitter app for some reason. I don't remember why. And then I kept using it, and I tried to go back to TweetBot and just went back to Twitter in the end. So I used the uh, official Twitter app, Airmail, which we talked about, I think, last time. Uh, Safari is down there, and Slack is down there. So that stays in my dock. Now, I have... On this main screen, folders labeled A through H, and yeah. you, <laughs> you, you can't see this, but if you were to swipe over to the screen that's to the right, you would see folders labeled A through T, uh, alphabetical. So I have the main apps that I use on the main screen in those folders A through H, and then betas and other apps that I use less on this second screen. The reason that I have uh, these lettered, and if you look very closely into each of these, there's no rhyme or reason to how they're stored. I was trying to work that out of like, okay, does like B stand for books? So there's all reading apps? No. Like does D stand for something? I could not work it out. Yeah. I. So here's the problem is that I don't like the inefficiency of only putting certain apps within a folder. So hmm. the inefficiency to me is a, it's space efficiency. It has nothing to do with categories. It's about space. And so you might have a book uh, folder, but it's only got like four icons in it. Meanwhile, you know, your, your uh, finance folder is just crammed with like three pages worth of apps. Right. I don't like that. I like to have a completely filled first page of a folder, no second pages at all, as much as I can help it. And so it's really just that visual sort of storage for me, because anything that's not on my home screen or in my dock that's easily available... I swipe down and use Spotlight to search for it. Everything else is just, I search for it. I don't need to know where it is. I just use Spot. I was going to say Spotify. That's not what it's called. Spotlight <laughs> uh, for it. So that's sort of how mine works. I am probably a monster to many of you out there. Like, what are you doing? But it's my brain and the way that it works. And it, it's okay for me. So... Not necessarily a recommendation that that's the method for you, but certainly in terms of reachability, I think we're both on the same page. Yeah, I, th I think that's the key thing. Um, and I, I didn't really talk about my doc. Mine is actually really boring. It's phone, mail, yeah, phone, Ooh. Safari, and camera. I have camera down there because uh, it's like most of the time I, I can just launch it from the lock screen. On the iPhone 10, you know, you can force touch 3D 
press whatever you get to the camera. So that's kind of like in the same place when my phone is unlocked. I actually use the phone a good bit, uh, unfortunately. So it's it's down there. And again, that's something that because that's where it's always been on the iPhone. That's where it still lives. But um, I think I think our I think our home screen is really interesting because they're very different from each other. But we subscribe to the same theory of like easy reachability, kind of the middle out idea, like put the stuff you need the most often where it's, it's the, it's the simplest to get to. And I like you, if it's not on the homepage, I just often just go up to spotlight and search for it. And one thing I really like in iOS, I don't know when they added this, you can actually turn off apps from appearing in spotlight. So there are, I forget what app it was, but I've had a couple apps where I don't ever need them. I need them like once a year or something, not very often. And I take those out of spotlight because they'd get in the way of searching for something that I want, you know, maybe once a month or once a week. So you can go in and, and tell Spotlight, hey, you know, ignore this app name and it, it won't clutter up your results. But Spotlight's really fast on iOS. And so I, I have um, I've come to, to use that sort of as an ad hoc launcher, just like I do on the Mac, right? I use Alfred yeah. on the Mac to launch apps and use Spotlight on iOS to do the same. Yeah, I use Spotlight in both places, and it uh, it works for me. That's that's what's important. Get something that works for you. You know, don't try to adopt someone else's strategy for the sake of adopting the strategy. If something doesn't work, it's totally okay uh, to to go with the method that works best for you. I do want to do a, a quick honorable mention of my um, wallpaper method. Um, yes, one of the things that. I've noticed in that, like, I used to just have a black rectangle. That was my wallpaper across all of my devices, always and forever. And I was like, you know what, Micah? It's time to just add a little bit of variation to your life. So figure out how you can have a fun, nice, cool wallpaper and have it not interact with the apps in a bad way. Uh, So the method that I came up with, I use a site called Unsplash. They're a bajillion D really beautiful photos. They're all um, Creative Commons by zero licensing, so you can use them in anything as much as you want. Not so much important with wallpapers, but just so you know. Uh, And I will use that. I'll download one of the wallpapers, and I set that as my lock screen. And then I take it into... Uh, I can't think of an, you could use any sort of photo editing app and I will like make a duplicate of it. I will darken it and I will blur it. And so by darkening and blurring, it doesn't interact with the apps on my home screen. And there's this really nice effect where it starts out as this crisp image on my lock screen. And then when I swipe up to access my home screen, it sort of just is blurred into the background. Uh, So yeah, that's how I get to do fun wallpapers as, as often as I want and not have them be an issue whenever I'm using them for my home screen. That's uh, that's really clever. Uh, The one that I, that I'm sharing in the show notes I use both as my lock screen and my home screen. It doesn't really interact with them. It's sort of faded in the background. I used to use like a family photo on the lock screen, but especially in since like iOS 10 or 11 or something, the now playing widget is so big, like it covers <laughs> yeah. anyone's face. And so I, I kind of got tired of just seeing my family from like the neck down. <laughs> well, I'm just going to change it up. But I've definitely used your method where you sort of have like a duller, darker version of your lock screen. Uh, behind your apps, I think that's a really nice, nice effect to do because you get like some consistency, but you're not uh, distracting. I really hate like home screen wallpapers that are really bright or yes. vibrant because you sort of lose your or or there's like orange in it, and then so like your overcast icon, your overcast icon just disappears 
into mm-hmm. it. You know, it's like, oh, it's gone. And some people with lines can be an issue because they, they line up strangely with, the, yeah, ugh. that's why, like, blur it up, maybe. And then it that's seems right. to be a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, that, you know, I think that's a, hopefully that's a satis- satisfactory answer for Tyler. But, you know, there's really not a right reason, a, a right way to do this. Um, it's just kind of what works for you. And o- over time, you know, uh, you'll, you'll, as phones change and as your needs change, your home screen should change. It's not it's not set in stone. Amen. All right, so we've got a bunch more to talk about, but first I want to tell you about our first sponsor for this week. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. While you've been listening to this podcast, would you know if your website's gone down? Would you know if your customers couldn't click that Buy Now button or access your content? You might stumble across the problem by luck, or someone might tweet at you or email you, But that's not a good system. You need a system that works for you. You need something to tell you that everything is running smoothly on your site, and more importantly, when it's not. You need Pingdom. Pingdom lets you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. If you want text messages or emails or push notifications, uh, all three of them, uh, you can set all this stuff up so Pingdom alerts you the second there's a problem. And they're smart. They'll get the information needed to solve the issue and send it to whoever in your organization needs it, whether it's one person like me at Relay or an entire team if you're at a big company. They're dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. They use more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every one minute. All Pingdom needs is the URL, and they take care of the rest. You're not installing some package on your web server. You just give them the URL, and you will no longer be at risk of being the last to know when something is broken on your site. So start monitoring your website today. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code QUERY at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. Uh, so we got a question from Rob, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lob this at you. Okay. Because you've spent a lot of time, I know, like, <laughs> in my mind, you're like the AirPlay and HomeKit guy. I don't know if that's fair or not, but... that's uh, Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. You're, you're who I go to with these questions, so I'm going to go to you with Rob's question. Rob, uh, Rob wants to know, is there a way to adjust equalizer settings on a HomePod when streaming directly rather than via AirPlay? Mm-hmm. And are AirPlay equalizer settings restricted to the music app? rather than the third-party apps on iOS. So this is like a multi-part question. Are there EQ settings for the HomePod itself? Or if you're listening to something like Spotify, which I think is the example we're going to use, uh, can I change my EQ in Spotify and stream that to the HomePod and the HomePod respect those EQ settings? Yeah, so let's start with uh, the first question that you have, which is whether you can adjust those settings on HomePod itself. Here's the thing about the HomePod uh, and Apple. We, we know this about Apple. Apple is very uh, particular about the way that they, like when they make decisions, they really want you to believe in their decisions and the way that they do things. And so Apple probably, I mean, if you got a press invite to check out the HomePod acoustic lab, then you'd see all these ridiculous machines and probably giant robotic ears and what have you that are listening and trying to determine what is the best possible way to arrange all the tweeters inside of the HomePod, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they've tuned this thing to 
their liking. And it's important to note, too, that this has dynamic tuning. So as the HomePod puts out sound, it listens to how that sound comes back at it and then makes adjustments based on that to give you the best possible, well, what Apple feels is the best possible sound quality and sound like richness and blah, 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 blah for the sorry, audiophiles. It's not blah, blah, blah. I understand uh, for your space. So that said, you aren't going to be able to be like, hey, hey, uh, uh, Siri pal, can you please make this this change for me? Because I want things to sound like a, um, I don't know, like a, a jazz club or something. Um, that said, so while, you know, s- s- the HomePod is already tuned and isn't going to be listening to your requests directly on the device, there are lots of options, it turns out, when it comes to streaming music over uh, apps on iOS. So you can do that. I do. I know you said third party, but I do want to talk about uh, for those out there, if you're curious, um, if you go into your settings on your iPhone uh, or iOS device, you can make EQ changes. And uh, iTunes is going to listen to that or rather the music app is going to listen to that and respect that. But this morning, Actually, I ran a test uh, that scared my dogs a little bit because I wanted to know, as Rob had asked, um, because I usually just leave the EQ settings alone. I'm one that sort of believes that Bose, which is one of the like wireless speakers that I have, or Apple with the HomePod or what have you, they have my best listening experience in mind, so I don't really mess with EQ settings. Um, but... For this test, I decided to. And the fun thing about Spotify is there's a, um, what is it called? A, a parametric equalizer. And so you can go through and make changes to different frequencies along the spectrum. And uh, I, I dropped, I needed to make sure because I, there are different presets too, like jazz and loudspeakers and reduced treble. And as I was listening, I was like, maybe that's a change or maybe it's placebo effect. So I yeah, really need to try to this tell. out. Yeah, it was hard and I couldn't I couldn't quite tell. Plus, remember that the HomePod thinks about how things sound. And so I didn't know how that was playing into it. So I decided to use the parametric equalizer. I dropped all of the frequencies except for the upper one, which I raised all the way to the top. And then oh, I did boy. the reverse where everything <laughs> went down except for the bass. <laughs> You can make a trashy music listening experience if you'd like with your HomePod and uh, and Spotify. It will obey your request. Although I do have a feeling that if I had taken a Bluetooth speaker and pumped this into it, it would probably sound even more different. Like the the thing that surprised me the most was that even when I had all the frequencies dropped except for the higher or all the frequencies dropped except for the lower, I could still hear everything else um, semi-clearly. It didn't sound like what I would expect it to sound like, I guess. Like if I was in... Um, Adobe Audition or Logic and I made those changes, it would respect them wholeheartedly. So just keep in mind that with something like the HomePod, uh, where it is making, and, and I guess Sonos would fall into this as well. Many of their devices have this sort of like active noise processing stuff. Um, then keep that in mind that that's probably going to play into it because they don't want you to, <laughs> they don't trust you to make the right choices, it seems. And this morning I wasn't making the right choices and my dogs let me know that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. I haven't messed with EQ on my HomePod. Uh, I don't ever really stream anything to it. Sometimes I listen to a podcast in my office and I'll, I'll airplay 
from Overcast to the HomePod, but most of the time I've listened to music on it. I'm just, you know, asking the voice assistant to play something from Apple Music, and I haven't really done anything uh, past that. Um, I think the HomePod sounds pretty good. It's it's a it can be a little bass heavy where mine sits in my office. Um, just the way I have it, uh, it, it kind of worked for me. But I, I thought it was too bass heavy when it was in our kitchen, and you know maybe if it was still there, if I had one there again, maybe I would uh, tinker with it some. But I'm glad to know that they respect it. I was afraid the answer was going to be uh, no. Apple's going to make all the decisions for you. So I'm glad that that isn't uh, quite true. Yeah, uh, I do. Again, control freak. Like when it comes to home automation and stuff, a lot of the times I don't like to use my voice to activate scenes or use my voice to turn on lights and things. I just I just want to control those things myself. So I just open up the home app and do that. And the same thing applies with music. Um, most of the time, I just want to be able to control it with my hands. So I do a lot of streaming from my Mac and iTunes to the HomePod over AirPlay uh, and occasionally, or rather not occasionally, and then over my iPhone to the HomePod. It is not often that I'm ever like, yo, DJ built into this speaker, can you play some music for me? Uh, Because apparently I have trust issues with Siri, which I think is Uh, fair. Yeah, I think that's, that's well earned. Yeah, there you go. EQs. I'm I'm glad to know that you can make some adjustments at least. And I think it makes sense that the HomePod won't let you get things too bad, too crazy. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that fits within Apple's sort of brand for the thing. But <laughs> we got one more sponsor, and then we're getting to the speed run. Does that sound good? It sounds so good. This episode of Query is brought to you by Molecule. I'm sure you spend a lot of effort into making your home comfortable, welcoming, and maybe if you're like Micah full of smart things. (laughs) But have you ever thought about the air pollutants in your home? Because without them, you could sleep better, feel better, and live better. Molecule is the only air purifier that actually destroys pollutants. Let me tell you why that's important. More than 80% of people living in urban areas that monitor pollution are exposed to air quality that doesn't meet recommendations set by the World Health Organization. Worst news is that indoor air can be up to five times worse than outdoor air. To rest easy knowing you're breathing clean air, you need Molecule. Molecule are introducing a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at the molecular level. And their many happy customers are reaping the benefits, with customers saying they're able to breathe through their noses for the first time in years. Molecule has a clean design with high-quality experience. It's even been described as the apple of air purifiers. And it's been verified by science, but more importantly, it's been tested by real people. They've already helped allergy and asthma sufferers cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. The Molecule Air Purifier is whisper quiet, energy efficient, made for rooms of all sizes, portable and connected. You can control it by using a touchscreen or remotely using an iPhone or Android phone. You need to go and look at the Molecule Air Purifier to see what it can do and to see how sleek looking this thing is. It really is, really is nice. Head over to Molecule.com. That's Molecule with a K, M-O-L-E. K-U-L-E dot com. Take a look around, and when you're ready to make your first order, use the code QUERY for $75 off. That's offer code QUERY for $75 off your order. Our thanks to Molecule for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Steve, Steve writes, looking to use third-party apps on my iPhone and remove Apple's own first-party apps. And we spoke some about this last week with like mail and airmail and stuff. 
How will this affect the general use of the phone? <sighs> I've got some bad news. Um, I actually just had a friend ask me the same question. Uh, they were like, hey, can I remove all of these apps that are in this folder that I never use? And I was like, yes, but. So here is the yes, but for this morning. Um, you can use third-party apps for you know mail, which I use, and I don't know, even messages. Like if you used Google Hangouts or something to talk to people. Um, whatever you want to use, I'm not judging. But the problem is... You can't let third-party apps serve as default apps. So what does that mean? Well, an example of this is on the Mac, for example, if you were to click a link in messages on macOS, then you get to choose which browser pops up. It's not going to work that same way on iOS. You don't get to choose your default browser. You don't get to choose your default messages client. You don't get to choose really, I think most of anything, uh, those are going to automatically pop up in those default apps, which becomes even more of an issue if you decide to remove them from your phone. Uh, suddenly, there's no mail app whenever you go and tap like a support link in on, on some website, and it needs to be able to send a mail message. And it's like, no, I just want to use air mail. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Every year, there are people who make predictions that, oh, this is going to be the year that Apple is finally going to allow us. And it doesn't happen. Um, and I, I, I don't really see it ever happening, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've given up trying to guess when they may do that. But at the very least, I think it would be nice if you uninstalled mail, which most people don't know you can do. You know, maybe don't expose it until you uninstall mail, but then give people the option to say, hey, your, your mail to links are going to break. Where do you want Where do you want me to send them? But um, they haven't done it. So uh, uh, what a lot of people do, at least with mail, uh, they use something like Spark or, or AirMail Air or whatever. But then they keep their regular account in the mail app, the default app, so they can send from it, you know, if they click uh-huh. a, a email link in Safari or something, they have all the notifications off. It's not checking new mail automatically, but at least you could still send out from it. So that may be a workaround for mail at least. But the others, you're still kind of you're still kind of stuck. Yeah, and luckily, I think there's a lot less of that kind of linking as these these the software like progresses where linking is less tied to sort of the HTML side of things where on the web we've got mail to and we've got phone number and these very particular things that are going to link directly to those those apps and so there are some apps that have little things built in where you can sort of move between apps and things are integrated and i think that that is you know something that you can as apps get better and as we have these sort of Siri serving as the bridge between things, mm-hmm. I think that it'll improve that experience, even if we never get to just go into our settings and say, hi, I don't want to use the mail app, please. Thank you right. very much. Yeah, I think you're I think you're probably right. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to the next question. And this one comes from Bob. Bob asks, is it dangerous to run a MacBook Pro in clamshell mode for a long period of time? Uh, so uh, clamshell mode, of course, is when you have a notebook hooked up to like a display and a keyboard and mouse, and then you have the laptop closed. Micah, this is, I believe, how you use your MacBook Pro. <laughs> 
always, always and forever, I have my MacBook Pro. Well, 97.2% mm-hmm. of the time I have my MacBook in clamshell mode, yes. You should just buy a desktop next time around. I know, I should. If only they'd update the Mac Mini. So... <laughs> The short answer is no, you're not going to cause any any problems. Apple has a lengthy support document about how this works. Nowhere in this document does it give you any warnings about shortening the life of your computer, it creating excess heat, that sort of thing. Uh, now, I think it is important to understand how these notebooks uh, ventilate their air. Most of them, uh, if it's a modern one, bring air in through the sides, kind of the, the bottom radius where the side and the bottom case meet. You can see vents there on most of them. And then they pull air through there and then exhaust it through, uh, usually around the back of the machine or uh, through the hinge area. So it's important to know where that stuff is. You know, if your machine, your machine would overheat much more quickly if you're using it like on a fuzzy blanket and all the intake intakes are covered up, right? Where it can't pull yes. in cool air. It stresses me out when I see folks put their, uh, their Macs on top of pillows, mm-hmm. put their MacBooks on top of pillows on their laps, because if, uh, you know, just to put that out there, oftentimes the MacBook is going to weigh down in a way that pushes the pillow up and around that back vent and so your stuff will end up getting overheated and it's not good yeah uh but you know say that you're exporting a bunch of video or something and your machine is in clamshell mode you may hear the fans a little bit more because it's got to push that air out of of an area that you know maybe is is easier access to the if the lid is open you may have a little bit more throttling. These machines are designed to sort of throttle down their CPUs if they get into into trouble heat-wise. But you're not going to melt it. You're not going to add, I don't think, undo wear and tear on a machine. This is part of how people use MacBook Pros. I think I would have guessed that a lot of people use MacBook Pros this way, just kind of in my experience out in the world. A lot of people do what Micah does, where they have one or two displays in the in the the MacBook Pros in clamshell mode, like in a mount or something behind them or on the desk or something. So I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't worry about it. Um, you yeah. know, you may hear the fans a little bit more of that bugs. You may be, Hey, when it's time to render that 4k video, maybe open the lid so it can breathe a little bit better, but I don't think you have to worry about it. Don't be thinking about it. Should I open it? Should I not? I think you can just use it how you want. Uh, yeah, that's very well said. And I, um, one of the things that I do is I keep the MacBook pro pushed it's it sits on this glass sort of display riser because my displays are on arms and so i have these risers and i just have it pushed back so that the back vents are completely out in the open and exposed to the air because you only have to have it out just a very little bit um so that that sort of quells my concerns about the heat dissipating as it needs to uh the best idea like if if there's anything that you can do to make this the best experience possible for your macbook pro while it's in clamshell mode just don't like stuff it in a drawer or you know close it off from being able to exhaust (laughs) that air uh that's not a good idea let it let it breathe and you'll be fine yep i think that's uh i think that's that's good advice so bob don't don't stress about it just let it let do what you want to do man just do what you want to do all right the last one is kind of a fun one Storm writes, for the new iPad Pros in September or whenever they come out, do you think the time is right to change the orientation of the Apple logo on the back so it promotes landscape usage, which is surely the predominant orientation used by Pros? Ooh. All right. So personal feels. I... 
I don't, th- I, I, I don't think it matters all that much. Um, I no, it, guess it that <laughs> I, I guess it'd be kind of cool if it was, uh, like on a gimbal and so, or, or it was like a little, a little air pocket or rather a little liquid pocket so that whenever you turned the air, uh, the air pod, the iPod, I can't speak anymore. Whenever you turn the iPad, it would just reorientate however it needed to. Um, no, it just, I don't think that that matters. Um, the Apple logo and the look, I think, of Apple devices is so ubiquitous that the only reason like why this is a concern or an issue is so that folks like know that you're using a device, I guess. Because to me, I don't know of any pro that's like, well, since Apple put the logo this way, I guess that's really how they want us to use this device. Pros take these products that they love and they make them do what they want them to do. They figure out how to make it work. They, you know, they obsess over these things and an Apple logo orientation is not going to stop them. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, I use my iPad Pro almost exclusively in portrait, usually with a keyboard attached. But even if I take it out of the keyboard, portrait just kind of makes sense for me for iOS, especially when you can do side-by-side apps and portrait mode is just um, a little snug. I think it'd be nice if they turned it. Uh, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think it actually matters all that much. But I want to tell a story. Ooh, okay. Because Apple has faced this nail-biting problem before with the notebooks. So for a long time on PowerBooks, the PowerBook G3s, the Apple logo was turned where it was correct if you were holding the notebook. But when you opened it, so say you and I are across the table from each other, and I open my PowerBook G3, the Apple logo to you is upside down, which is way worse than the iPad problem, right? The iPad problem is just on its side, and like I have a sticker over mine, so you can't even tell. But an upside-down Apple logo on a laptop that's it's not great. That's not great. That looks like you went to the tattoo artist and you told them to do a tattoo and they ori- like they put it on wrong. <laughs> they put it on wrong and now suddenly whenever you're like, "Yeah, look, it's an arrow pointing up." And they're like, "No, that's an that's an arrow pointing down." No! Yeah, it feels like it was wrong. <laughs> With the Titanium PowerBook G4, which you don't know about that machine, there'll be a link in the show notes. I just did a video about it. It's a, it's a really cool computer. They turned the logo around. So it's the way that we know it now, Apple computers, where the Apple logo faces the correct way if someone is across from you from a table. And when Steve Jobs introduced this, you know, they showed the back of it. And he doesn't, he doesn't call it out, but he just says, people are laughing and cheering. And he says, yeah, you and about a billion other people, <laughs> which is like a funny, uh, a funny little, uh, you know, nod that people... <laughs> People knew what was going on. So I'd like to see them change it. I'd like to see them relive that joke. But I don't think it's a vast importance. But, you know, it's fun to talk about. Yeah. So You know, maybe that's what they should start uh, shipping stickers with the uh, smart keyboard for the iPad Pro so that you can just take one of those Apple stickers and you you can put it on sideways so that whenever you clip it to the iPad Pro it looks like it's orientated properly. There you go. And they, they could install it for you. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like at the store, they've got those like squeegees and everything. I think that's the way to go. <laughs> Perfect. 
Uh, so yeah, that is uh, that's our episode. That was a lot of fun. Kind of an oddball collection of stuff. I like that. A little uh, grab bag going on there. Little grab bag. Uh, so if you want to find uh, our show notes, so you can look at our wallpapers and you can judge Micah's, <laughs> uh, head over to relay.fm slash query slash 37. Uh, I do want to remind everybody that it is August, and that means that it is Relay FM birthday month. The network is four years old this week. Aww. It's crazy. Uh, and whether you've been with us for four episodes or all four years, we're grateful for your support. And if you enjoy listening to the show, we'd love for you to become a member. Members get uh, a bunch of extra content, like a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter, a bunch of really cool wallpapers based on our artwork, uh, a monthly Real FM host crossover show. Spoiler alert, Mike is on the next one. <laughs> Ta-da! Recording that next week. And you get access to a full feed of bonus episodes of shows published throughout August and September. So we'll be doing an extra episode of Query. I'm not going to spoil it, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so you can look for that here in a couple weeks. The best part is Relay FM membership starts at just $5 a month. And uh, you can head over and learn more and sign up at relay.fm slash membership. Uh, so head over there. Uh, and a quick note, we did change the URL of that feed. So if you're an existing member, you've gotten an email about that. Uh, but if you've previously like, canceled your membership and you signed back up, uh, to get that new fees. Just a heads up there. Once again, that's relay.fm slash membership. So we'd love, we'd love to have your support. To submit questions for this show, please tweet with the hashtag AskQuery. In the meantime, you can find Micah on Twitter at MicahSargent, and you can find his excellent writing over at imore.com. You can find me as ISMH on Twitter sometimes, and I write at 512pixels.net and host a bunch of other shows here on the network. And until... Our next episode, Micah. Say goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. Adios.